Welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action, Entertainment Reviews Podcast. How feel you? Afraid, are you? I sense much fear in you. Our Star Wars The Complete Saga Retrospective begins. I wasn't strong enough to save you. But I promise. I won't fail again. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. Death is a natural part of life. The fear of loss is a path to the dark side. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. On this episode, we will be discussing and reviewing Star Wars, the prequel trilogy. Come away with me. Leave everything else behind while we still can. I have brought peace and security to my new empire. This episode will contain spoilers. Your new empire? You are the chosen one! Once more, the Sith will rule the galaxy. There's good in him. And now... Here are your hosts for this retrospective, Mike Winkler, Alistair Englehart, Dan English, and Jeremy Larson. Well, hello everybody, or shall I say hello there, in the words of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Welcome to the Star Wars The Complete Saga Retrospective Podcast, as we are here tonight to do the prequel trilogy episodes one through three. I am here again, Mike Winkler, with Alistair Engelhart, Dan English, hey and new to the podcast, Jeremy Larson. Thanks for joining us, Jeremy. Glad to be here, Mike. Great. All right. So, the much divided amongst the fans, the prequel trilogy, um, digging into this, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, why don't we start and get into The Phantom Menace? Uh, so, who wants to start us off with some comments? Alistair does. <laughs> yeah, no, do. no, I, you know, I actually, um, I kind of jotted down some of the things that I liked about the Phantom Menace. Um, this time, I was, I was actually reminded how much I like Liam Neeson. I think he's oh, yeah. probably my my favorite uh, actor in the entire uh, entire film. One second, I'm getting a little bit of an echo here. There we go. Um, yeah, I, I felt like, um, I felt like. Quagon was a very full character for me. I liked um, some of the um, dynamic that his character experienced in that film. Um, I also liked McGregor a lot. I just, we don't really get to see him too much. He's more of a supporting role in, in um, The Phantom, but definitely he comes out a bit more in the, the next two films. Um, 
but I like Quig Jin a lot. I like I like how wise he was, um, very pragmatic, and, and even the fact that he was a little bit unorthodox and and kind of um, opens us up in a way that I don't think that we see in the original trilogy to the potential for the Jedi Order to have flaws in its thinking, mm-hmm. um, which I th- I thought was pretty cool too. Um, but um, yeah, I actually this time around I I didn't remember thinking much of the CGI the first time I watched them. Mm-hmm. Or at least the the time before this watching, but I actually um, felt better of the CGI this time. Yeah, um, and thought it was decent. You know, it it, it held up well. It was, it was kind of like a lower lower mid range budget movie for me. Like if I was to watch it now, uh, it was it wasn't terrible by any means. And I've definitely even seen more recent movies that I think are are far worse with their CGI. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um, a lot of movies that have the, aged pretty badly. Yeah, yeah. I think the the only problem that I noticed is I I felt like in some scenes, Jar Jar, the mainly CGI characters, um, didn't look super well blended into the surroundings, but in other scenes they did. Um, And I actually really loved the battle droids. I, uh, I, I I hadn't been watching them up until this watching, but um, I thought they looked really realistic. They did. Yeah. They did. Um, Agreed. Yeah, like uh, exactly how I'd expect them to look if they were, if I was staring down their barrel. Um, mm-hmm. Now, see, so, I'm gonna I'm gonna chime in here, Alistair. I, yeah, I do like what you're saying with the the battle droids. Uh, the uh-huh. one thing that I really liked about it is that they were so uniform and that's what it made it feel like they were realistic is that they they were robotic in mm-hmm. in their movements in everything that they did it was robotic mm-hmm. yeah 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 i um what y'all think of the pod racing i i actually thought that was pretty fun this time it still holds up really well i mean that's a great great done sequence i mean it you can't even tell really it was from 20 plus years ago it, it looks fantastic still it is great. I love I love every single moment of the pod race. Mm-hmm. I can't get over it. <laughs> not not only from not only from a viewer standpoint, but from the writer standpoint. It's you're you're looking at the one eight year old boy who is able to do pod mm-hmm. racing. Like they even said mm-hmm. it in the movie, he's the only one who can do it, and it shows a great test of skill and his use of the force just by using his surroundings. Yeah, yeah, definitely Very some good so. foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I really liked Darth Maul. Um, I think I think he looks awesome. And not that that's a that's a very superficial thing, but but I think he looks really cool. Um and I actually um I thought his despite the fact that he only had I think two or three lines, like he didn't speak too much, um, he still managed to pull off a very menacing character. Um I think the fact that he didn't speak much actually probably helped to um, help to kind of communicate the the um, the like the, just the evil the evilness of his character for me. I, I just uh, I I enjoyed him as a villain and actually would have liked to have seen him more. I thought he made a, a far better villain than the main villain of the uh, the film, which I think was um, was the, uh, the the Trade Federation. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. What, what do you all think? Do you uh, do you feel like it would have been better to kind of have introduced the Sith as the primary villain of the, I mean, arguably the the entire saga, but but definitely for the the prequel trilogy earlier? Or do you, did you like kind of the focus on the Trade Federation for the first film? The Trade Federation was a good distraction from what we know as an enemy in the Star Wars universe. It's usually just Jedi versus Sith. With this, we're actually seeing 
in the prequel trilogy, the only time that you see in the movies that's not full galactic war scale, mm-hmm. right? This is just sure. this is just a, a an occupation of a planet. This is nothing compared to what we see in the original trilogy or the the sure. uh, sequel trilogy. Um, mm. What I liked it because it was whatever lines that Maul said, they were short, but they were powerful and they were menacing mm-hmm. and they added a lot of foreshadowing into the future. Mm. Yeah, I love Maul. I was, I was going to say a couple years back, I was looking into exposing my sister to the, the rest of the Star Wars universe because we had kind of grown up watching 4, 5, and 6. Um, my I think my dad actually had the original trilogy on Betamax before the uh, remastered VHS versions came out with those gold sleeves. And to your point on the CG, I think that the CG in the prequel trilogy is so much better than what we saw in the remasters of the original trilogy because too often in that one, it feels like a joke or like someone goofing around with CGI or someone who just realized some sort of potential. So it doesn't feel artistic or purposeful. It's just like, let's put a stormtrooper riding a a dinosaur thing. (laughs) Um, But so one of the orders that I had found to expose people to the, to the films to preserve the story arc of four, five, and six, but also to introduce one, two, and three as a continuation of four, five, and six was to put them between uh, five and six. And so you essentially watch the original trilogy up to the point that you get the revelation that uh, Darth Vader is Luke's father. It's like watching the prequels as a flashback. Yeah, yeah and then you a... go and watch the prequels, and they recommended, it was called the Machete Order, that you don't watch one at all. Hmm. And that's because it introduced the ever-controversial concept of midi-chlorians. It had Qui-Gon and Darth Maul, both Jedi and Sith, who don't last through the movie. And it has the uh, discontinuity of the younger actor as... Anakin but ultimately I just can't get rid of the first one and the reason being is because I love Qui-Gon and I love Darth Maul I think they're great characters Um, and I think knowing Qui-Gon really emphasizes Dooku's interaction with Kenobi later on explaining Mm -hmm. to him that you know you don't know who Qui-Gon would would be allied to right now and so I think the the idea that the Jedi Council is a is a fallible institution is such a a clever story because it it prevents reducing down to just Jedi good, Sith bad, and that's why I also like the introduction of the Trade Federation because it's not it's not like a force fight or a saber fight, it's a it's a political endeavor. It's mm-hmm. this. And, and yeah, so I should probably stop, but I just love how the trilogy as a whole takes the focus off of the rebellion in a narrow sense or Luke in an even narrower sense mm-hmm. and broadens it to um, really Darth 
and Anakin's journey and redemption. And so it, it rebrands the hero of the story. And so mm. as I go back, I actually feel a lot for Anakin and what he goes through. And having just finished the third one, you see him kind of getting ripped between manipulated by everyone you know no one's really treating him like an adult or giving him any kind of autonomy over his decisions except for Padme so Mm. ultimately yeah Maul is awesome I had actually heard that uh, Benicio del Toro was going to play Darth Maul and when he found out that there were no lines he he rejected the part oh jeez or that there were as few lines as there were, and then it ended yeah. up being some stunt man that played him. Jeez. And he, I, I, I really, um, I feel like his his thread in, in uh, the Clone Wars and Rebels is one of my one of my favorite. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, Once you explain to me how you can get cross sectioned at the waist, <laughs> fall down a shaft, and survive, <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> I actually haven't gotten through both of those shows yet. I've yeah. just started watching them recently because I have access to them now. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm in the same boat, Jeremy. But you guys are right. You know, um, it's it's really impossible to not watch the Phantom Menace because if you like, if you go and watch Attack of the Clones, you you can't see Anakin as a little boy being torn away from his mother to go live out his his dream of being a Jedi. Um, uh, e- even when he goes and finds his mother and she dies in his arms i mean if you don't have episode one you can't really connect with that at at all and um (laughs) there are there are a lot of elements in episode one that yes i I know that the huge debate is how juvenile it is and Mm. yeah i guess in a way that the character of jar jar is juvenile but i feel like lucas's vision was to make the phantom menace more for the kids more for the eight and the 10 year olds, get them involved in star Wars. Therefore they can age with the prequels. They go see episode two. Now they're 13. Then episode three, they're 16. That's exactly the way I aged through them. Um, I mean, when I was five and six, I saw the original trilogy and I, and I loved them, but the Phantom Menace is really what made me fall in love with star Wars. And I literally grew up through my teenage years with, with the prequels. And I think that's why they're so meaningful to me and watching Liam Neeson in it and then seeing the star he became, is, is actually quite interesting because I look at Liam Neeson and think, gee, I wish he could have been in this trilogy more, but he couldn't be because Obi-Wan had to be the one to grow up, train right. Anakin, and do yeah, all those sure. things. And then Darth Maul, yeah, he's a great presence and he's a great villain, but he couldn't be in episode one or beyond episode one because the threat had to be looming in behind the scenes with Paul Patine getting mm-hmm. into Anakin's head and Darth yeah. Maul would have taken away from that. Which I think, yeah, this is just briefly jumping to the trilogy as a whole, but I I came away, um, I come away every time I rewatch these movies with an even greater appreciation for the, what's the word? The clever, the, not clever I'm not sure if cleverness is the right word. Just the, the ingenuity of, of uh, Shiv Palpatine's plan. Um, just that he duped an entire galaxy. Um, yeah. Literally, and, he, came um, in, he came in right underneath the radar. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's amazing to me. Um, and you could see you could see how uh, yeah. how comfortable he was throughout the entirety of the trilogy, mm-hmm. with turning more into himself as he gained mm. more, the more power and more protection that he had mm-hmm. with the Senate and the army behind him. He was able to suddenly be himself. Yeah. Whereas in the first one, he was totally playing a role. He was playing yeah. us all for fools. 
Yeah. Like we yeah. knew, we knew, but we knew. <laughs> yeah. But but and he was I, so sneaky and under the radar. So yeah. sneaky. Mm-hmm. And I think that the I I think perhaps as a kid I probably would have enjoyed villains like like um I mean I still enjoy Maul and Grievous. I mean these these villains that are very powerful. Um, and and can do some pretty cool stuff with lightsabers, mm-hmm. um, but but as a as an adult, I feel like villains like yeah Palpatine and and Thrawn too, who we're, we're hearing might have an, an appearance in Mandalorian season two, mm-hmm. that are more um, intellectuals that that leverage their thinking um, and their planning to achieve goals, not not simply by sheer power. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that's really cool. And I, yeah. I think that was some of the best writing of the entire story was, was in the, those types of villains. Yeah. I, it's, I think there are just a few elements of Palpatine's deception that I find a bit contrived, mm. but I can't, I can't figure out if it's because I know the end. <laughs> and so it seems so transparent. Like, um, the fact that uh, Queen Amidala is so fooled by him, I mm. think, is is the one that really gets me. I can totally see Anakin's too young at first, and then he's too impassioned. And really, Palpatine's the only one who's, aside from Padme, who has an air of respect for him, though he may not actually respect him. Um, though, I think he kind of does. I think... I think he ultimately wants to use him for his ends, but I think he respects his power at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I, I agree that the story is the strength. The, the weakness in the first one for me is outside of the core cast, with the exception of little Anakin and Padme, the actors just don't do it for me. Um, Natalie Portman, I think, grows into her role, and in two and three, I like her a lot better. Yeah, I agree with you there, Dan. Yeah, but but there, the romance between the the three of them contains, or between the two of them in the three movies, <laughs> uh, contains <laughs> my least liked scenes. Sure. Makes sense. Um, hmm. Yeah, just it's like within a, a single movie span. Queen Amidala, Padme goes from saying, you know, don't look at me, it makes me uncomfortable, to, <laughs> you know, wanting to spend her life and live under the radar with their relationship. And so, yeah. yeah. So well, here, here's a question. Uh, oh, you can go ahead, Jeremy. Sorry. Well, there, there is this theory. There is this theory that uh, when uh, Anakin does, uh, we're, we're in the second movie now. Like, I, I, I kind of don't want to go into it until the next one, but I feel like at that point, Anakin uh, inadvertently was using the force to basically seduce her. Mm. That that's a theory. It's not that, a bad theory. Um, that I know that he said it doesn't work on the weak-minded, but with how, how much he was prying at that and pushing that boundary, that he finally broke that wall, and that's when she kind of gave into that that fantasy, and she kind of accepted it. It's kind of like he like something in her head yeah that's i mean it's certainly an interesting theory but it i don't like when a theory that solves an awkwardness just brings up so many more questions because then i'm wondering like okay so 
does it wear off when he's gone? Because for a large portion of their relationship, especially in Clone Wars, I realize we're not talking about that. They spend most of their time apart. And yet, you know, they're still in love with one another in some sense. Um, but yeah, that is interesting because he is he is pretty uh, a little bit cringy with the, his persistence. <laughs> and it's only because Very. she's she's so she's so off put by him like oh you'll always be just a child to me don't look (laughs) at me like that it makes me uncomfortable and then he's like he doesn't care the escalation happens far too quickly yeah (laughs) it does which that's why it's uncomfortable (laughs) i think that's a theme though for me uh that would be my biggest criticism is all of a sudden I guess spoiler alert and moving slightly into the third one all of a sudden he's murdering the younglings and that that is a moment that I never am able to buy fully that he's just has such a disregard for human life that he's killing all the children I just it's so hard I get that he's angry but instead of this continued progression he keeps slipping back into this humanity because the thing that's driving him to this evil, presumably, is wanting to protect Padme. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, at the cost of the... Ch- I don't know. Bec- because part of the prequels humanizes Vader and it makes Vader's return so much better, in my opinion, when you, actual- when you start to see it um, in the original trilogy. But at the same time it dehumanizes him because of the evil that he goes to. So I don't know. It just feels like yeah. he, it's. Yeah. No, I, I know what you mean, Dan. I, I, I will say for me, when I watch, yeah, as I'm thinking about it, I do think it's helpful. I mean, maybe unhelpful since because of the question on the table that they don't show. I don't think I remember them showing his face. I remember his lightsaber igniting. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if, if if it was one of those moments when Showing he realizes the there no well not even that if or it like I almost wonder if 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 it's one of those moments where he just realizes there's there's no way to go back now. Um mm. like I have yeah, I have, so I have a shot of his up. face with like tears just running from his eyes would yeah. be cool. Like if he if he was conflicted or felt sure. or was just like blinded with rage, it just feels yeah. Like such a drastic move. Yeah. But that yeah. but that's the that's the reason that the manipulation from Palpatine was so severe to Anakin's system. Yeah. And yeah. and I know I know I know that you're it's not gonna be like that, but <laughs> um but he's been playing him from the beginning, encouraging I, yeah. him with everything and always being that good friend on the side, being like, you know, are you really doing something you wanna do? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, I get that. So I'm trying to think of a parallel because there's always that. I saw this show on Netflix um, and I think it was called like the, the big push. Yeah. It was called the big push. And essentially it was this guy uh, probably fake and scripted who knows, but this guy is the premise (laughs) of it was this guy would start with these people at a party with this one single person and he would slowly develop a rapport with the person over the night and he would talk about it by saying, okay, now I've gotten this person to lie with me. 
now I've, and, and he started talking about the subtle psychology of getting someone to do something that they wouldn't do because you've manipulated them. And the whole thing culminates at the end of the night with him trying to get the person to push an old man off the ledge of a roof. And it's, it's like a, a whole hour episode. I really recommend it. It's really cool. Mm. But there's that moment where the person just feels so trapped um, and only one of the people chose not to push the guy. Three of the other people Gosh. chose to push him. Yeah, and it's it's really mind-blowing. And the guy's whole premise was you need to understand that you can be the victim of manipulation like this. Mm. And so, yeah, I guess maybe it's manipulation plus his just rage and emotion. But I, for some reason, it's it's really hard for me to to buy it all the way. So here, so here's yeah. what I recommend when yeah. watching when watching the Star Wars movies again. Do your machete approach, and then go four, five, and then one, two, and then right there you watch the big push series, and then you get to three, <laughs> there you and then yeah. you'll understand. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, 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 the touch base and a couple of things. Yeah, you know, I think I think a lot of people agree that the most cringeworthy stuff in the prequels is obviously the Padme and Anakin stuff. Anakin stuff because it, it's really as George Lucas is writing in those scenes. He doesn't write love scenes very well. It's it's fine, but I forgive I him for that because of the way the way the series is written, the way the series is done. And then you know, as far as like the the seduction of Palpatine, um. The period of time through the prequels, there, there's a lot of time that passes that we don't see. There's a lot of empty time. So we don't get a chance to see the relationship between Anakin and Palpatine building between one and two and mm -hmm. two and three. Uh, Clone Wars provides a little bit of that. So therefore, it kind of provides mm -hmm. some context. Um, and, uh, and like with the younglings thing, uh, I look at it this way. They always say that love can make you do crazy things. And Anakin is so deeply in love with Padme that he cannot literally live without her. I mean, just think in that moment when he thinks she's dead and he gets turned into Darth Vader, he, he screams out no and you can feel the pain yeah. because he, he's realizing I literally have nothing now. I lost my children. I lost Padme. I lost my way of life with the Jedi. You know, I lost my father figure in Obi-Wan Kenobi. He loses everything mm -hmm. in that moment. And uh, I just look at it that way. Him killing the younglings, yeah, it's a little... It's it's a little dicey as to how we could just go through that, but dicey. Uh... <laughs> but I, I look I look at it this way. I look at it this way. <laughs> Literally dicey. Yeah. Um, I, I look at it. He he he's so blinded by love that he cannot he cannot live without her, and he realizes that in order to complete his total seduction to the dark side and to get Palpatine to do what he wants, he has to go and do things that he may not even himself want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of the, the problem too is the moment of conversion um, with Windu. I just, I don't know. I, I just yeah. feel like if, if three. It's funny you bring that up. Because three is so good, but if three were done nowadays, I'd like it better. And I, maybe it's because we've we're desensitized a little bit as an audience and so what was gritty back then is not quite as gritty now right mm -hmm. um but i just think there's some really challenging both challenging acting and the, i'm always left wanting with the dialogue mm -hmm. 
You know, yeah. I, I have to ask you guys an episode three question. Um, I was having a debate mm-hmm. with somebody on this, and I, I, my firm belief on this was that in that scene when Windu is fighting Palpatine and Palpatine loses and gets his whole face shocked apart, mm-hmm. I always felt like that was also part of Palpatine's plan. Like, he let Mace overtake him because he sensed Anakin was coming, and he knew that in that moment, that's what he was going to have to do. Oh, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. He was playing the victim card so hard. Yeah. He, he was, that was his final act of manipulation mm-hmm. that fully secured Anakin's descent into darkness. Yep. Mm-hmm. I could not convey that as yeah, hard as I yeah. tried. I could not convey yeah, that to the other I, person. I, yeah, that... That makes sense to me. I mean, I I can't think of any other reason he would have continued to shock himself in the face. <laughs> um, I mean, he's he did it for a good five or six seconds, he did. right? Yeah. Like the the yeah. the minute that the minute I realized that my lightning was not hitting their person, that it was hitting me square in my face, is the second I would have stopped. But he Maybe kept it on going like for some reason. That, yeah. Those rumors that <laughs> Thomas Edison spread about Tesla. And he said, if you start getting shocked, you can't stop getting shocked. Wow. All that juice flowing through your veins. Yeah. So uh, with that scene, I had a question. What what do you all think about Anakin's um, response to me? Like, do do you feel like Anakin was justified in the act of stopping me? Let's let's set aside the the fact that he cut off his arm, but just like... Do do you think that Anakin made the right choice right choice to try to stop Mace from killing Palpatine? All right, here I actually was focusing on this today, so <laughs> <laughs> I was because I uh, both uh, my wife and I had we watched TikTok guilty pleasure. Um, we saw a guy who was saying uh, that Mace Window is the the reason that Anakin fell from the Jedi Order. Huh. Now mm-hmm. you got to look at every single possible moment between. Uh, Mace Windu and Anakin. Oh yeah, in the first movie. In the first movie, he says no, he won't be trained. He's too old, and he says it with such a blunt and so just clear message of no. And the look it's on Anakin's face after he tells him that he is too. pretty straightforward. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And every point forward between Mace Windu and Anakin up until the third movie has been a big authoritative push back. It's been a yep. I don't want you to either get yourself into trouble or I don't want you to get hurt, but it's in such a blunt and forceful way that yeah. Anakin takes that personally. Yep. Sure. I don't think That's I want to let the Jedi Council off that easy because I think that it's the Council's fault as a whole. Absolutely. Windu is the agent. Representative, He's, sure. At that moment, he is the representative of the corruption and the lax ideals that the, that the Council has come to. But I mean, from the get-go, they are open with one another about the fact that they can't really see clearly, mm-hmm. and yet they're still acting as a council of sages. And so True. what advice are they giving if they can't utilize the force? And I think they really, while they're disconnected from the insights of the force, they're pretending that they are the reason they ought to be uh, held in high esteem and not their, not the, the things that the force gives to them. And mm-hmm. so I think the ego of the council grows so large that 
if not for the terrible things that Anakin did, he's totally right to be against the council. They, but I'm sorry, I didn't mean. No, to, yeah, you're fine. You're you. fine. But they actually they do realize that their ego has gone too far. In in the third movie, that Mace Windu goes, I think we should inform the council that our ability to use the force is diminished. True. Right. They they wanted to. He wanted to do that, but I think there are two sides of the council. There is the authoritative side, which comes from Mace Windu. And then there is the logical, more understanding side and compassionate side that is Yoda. Mm. I think Yoda's wrong too. I mean, Yoda, why else would any important member of the council after the Clone Wars go off and become a hermit? <laughs> you know, maybe because they're running for their own lives, but there has to be this element of we had a council, we were at the seat of the power of the Republic, kind of like co-chairs with Palpatine and probably the most detrimental rise of power. They didn't even see it coming and couldn't even stop it. And worse yet, they were transporting that army all around, you know, thinking they were defeating the separatists. And that's the thing. We don't see much of the separatists. And I understand that there were, you know, like the invasion on Kashyyyk, like, why are they there? Why are they attacking the Wookiees? But Mm -hmm. is there a side to the separatist armies and cause that would be compelling? Because when Dooku's talking to Kenobi in the second movie, I'm actually all for it. I'm like, yeah, aside from, you know, the illegal occupation, I understand the separatist movement recognizing the dangers of the Republic and what the future of the Republic holds. And that's that's my, the most compelling thing about the whole story is Palpatine's right when he talks about the Jedi Council wanting to outgrow their appropriate power. The Jedi Council's right when they're talking about Palpatine and mm-hmm. the Separatists are right. Everyone's kind of right. And that's the my favorite kind of drama is when <laughs> it's it's muddied like that. Well, I think I think the biggest conflict too is like back to your question now about about Mace Windu. You know, there, there is there it's kind of a, a two edged sword here. Um, in a way, I look at Mace killing Palpatine as being justified because they know you know he's the leader of the Sith, and if they kill him, that maybe the Sith will not rise again. Um, but at the same time, it's 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 kind of funny to see Mace Windu be so willing to kill when we know the Jedi way is not to kill. I mean, look at that scene at the beginning of Episode Three when. Anakin has Dooku with two two lightsabers mm-hmm. and Palpatine is forcing him to kill him and Anakin's like no you know it's not the Jedi way so in a way Mace Windu is kind of letting the anger in him come out he's letting the dark side of himself come out in that moment yeah. so I guess you can say in a way Anakin had the right to stop him he just didn't go about it the right way mm-hmm. yeah 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 no I, I I agree I think I think in that moment whatever his emotional place it is or wherever he's coming from emotionally i think it's an it is a an overextension of power i think he's he's taking justice into his own hands and i think that anakin's i who knows his motive too you know i think when he says he needs to stand trial you know uh, who can say what was going through his head then but um but in any case i think that the cry for a trial and for um you know, for this the system to take a look at him rather than mm-hmm. the Jedi Order to kind of be the one that deals out death and justice. 
Um, yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have cut off his hand, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would have gone that far. I well, think there's I mean, probably other you, ways to. <laughs> if you're if you're looking into extended cuts, I mean, the the Revenge of the Sith video game uh, includes a a duel between Anakin and Mace Windu. Oh, that's which, true. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Jeez. So, I mean, oh. you, if you're looking extended, then yes, he you know had that more big moment of trying right. to stop Mace Windu, but no, um, I totally get it. So I have a question. There's only ever two Sith, is that right? That's Always two, there are no more, no less. Yep. A master yeah. of, the rule of two. Yep. So <laughs> if obviously Palpatine's the Sith, mm-hmm. right? It's Maul. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. When when is Dooku made a Sith? Right after Maul's death, um, mm-hmm. because uh, Dooku has a, has a knack of referencing uh, Qui Gon in, ep- in episode two as well. Yeah. So I assume right after Maul's death, Dooku was somehow seduced to the dark side by Palpatine. I, we don't really know how or why. Okay, but uh, yeah, I'd say somewhere around that, maybe like a, maybe like just right after that or pretty close to. And then. Yeah, and then yeah. Anakin, obviously, after he kills Count right. Dooku. Okay. But there's, I, there's an awesome part in, uh, is it Rebels or Clone Wars where uh, Maul and Palpatine face off? Um, I, I, feel like, it. I feel like it's Clone Wars. No, maybe it's Rebels. In any case, it's, it's just a, it's an awesome fight, and Palpatine goes into it saying, now you're just a rival. <laughs> <laughs> And then he goes in for the kill. It's it's such a cool fight. Um, but he, he he references the rule of two, um, and mm-hmm. uh, that that Maul at that point had was no longer, even though he had survived somehow, was no longer his apprentice. Yeah, okay. I don't. I okay. I don't really classify Dooku as a Sith because mm-hmm. he was a part of the Jedi Order, and he true. I think he I, what was he like discommunicated or something like that or did he just leave i don't know but i consider him more a fallen jedi which i know could be taken the same way as sith but i i view it very differently because there are there are like three different types of sith that we see in the prequel trilogy we see the puppet master the evil you know mastermind uh, palpatine you have like the I mean, the fallen Jedi Sith archetype with Dooku, he's, he's very, he's got his very own, like, code, it kind of seems like, because he's very professional about how he's a Sith. Right. And you have Maul, which is, like, pure rage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in kind yeah. of a way, though, I, I, I think Dooku do, does kind of become a Sith, though, because at the end of episode two, he is given the name Darth Tyrannus by Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Actually, Darth Tyrannus is, is before... Uh, that ending of the movie because that's Jango right Fett, Jango yep. Fett met Tyrannus on one of the moons of Bogdan when he right. was recruited yep. to be the the clone archetype which also you could find the backstory on that in a game called Bounty Hunter <laughs> where Jango <laughs> Fett mm-hmm. is basically being recruited for this whole mm-hmm. thing <laughs> mm. yeah so you have to kind of think that, that he was kind of I guess Tyrannus then I guess at least through all of Attack of the Clones or slightly before it's almost like George Lucas doesn't care about having a neat canon, a self-consistent canon. Well, yeah, but then, you know, Disney came in and kind of 
screwed that up. But, uh, you know, mm, got rid of all those. That's a whole different story. That's a whole different discussion. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's true. Its strength was in its, you know, variants, and it just had such a rich depth of material. And, yeah, Mm. maybe it contradicted itself, but there was a ton of stuff out there, and then they pretended as though they could straighten it up. Right. Well, Clone Wars kind of did that a little bit. Before Disney took over, the original trilogy held up and it had so much extended material (laughs) made by fans, which made it a very strong trilogy and a very strong just everything in that timeline. Mm -hmm. Now that Disney's taken over, the prequel trilogy has become the strongest because it has a lot more, there's a lot more lore that is actually considered canon. (laughs) Right. I mean, if you wanted to, if anyone is anyone, if you want to consider the extended universe as all the books and all the fan material as canon, go for it. I, mm-hmm. I don't mind that at all. But if you're looking at it yeah. from this standpoint, the prequel trilogy is the strongest. It has the most lore. It has. That's true. It's super, super well. It's well written. I love it. So there was there was something I noticed about um, uh, episode one versus episode two and three. Um, so in terms of, um, I, I don't know when this began, but I, but I think we've noticed, particularly with Marvel's films or D- Disney's films, that there's, there's this effort to balance solemnness with, um, with humor, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the Marvel films. Yeah. And I almost like episode one especially came across to me as, as attempting to, to strike that balance. But I think to your point, Mike, about it being for children, it didn't really work for me. Um, I felt like the the moments where they were trying to introduce comedic relief were very childish. Not just Jar Jar, just in general. Yeah, um, true. And, what are um, some examples? So, um, oh gosh, I'd have to think back. I mean, uh, really, really, all the all the Gungans in general to me. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, um, Misa. Kind of come across. Um, yeah. Speaking of the Gungans, I highly recommend. Um, I highly recommend looking at the interview with the voice actor that played Jar Jar. Um, huh. It it's really fantastic. As a child, I was not annoyed with Jar Jar. Uh-huh. Retrospectively, coming back to the trilogy, I really didn't know what to do with Jar Jar. Um, and like when robot chicken made fun of him, it was just basically how Jar Jar is. Um, but this, there was that whole Jar Jar is a Sith theory. And I really started to get into the potential depth that Jar Jar had. If you haven't heard the Jar Jar is a Sith theory, it basically, I have, it's, it's it's amazing. It is maybe one of the best fans. It is pretty cool. (laughs) <laughs> and so I just started getting attracted to this idea that um, that Jar Jar has a lot more depth to him. And, and can it just be all a coincidence that he then becomes the Naboo's representative? That's true. And he's the one who votes in favor of, you know, ceding power of the Republic over to the uh, Chancellor. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the, I, I should look up. That that's kind of the one issue with, with, with Lucas that I have is that he w- took the time to introduce Jar Jar in Episode One, and then he minimized his screen time through two and three to the point we get no sense of where he ends up, if he ends up killed, nothing. And it's like, why take the time to introduce that character? He got scared off by fans hating it. 
and he shouldn't have balked. He should have at least given Jar Jar a side story just to kind of write him off and give him some closure, not just make him basically an empty character by the time the trilogy's over. Yeah. Yeah, his name is Ahmed Best. Mm-hmm. I did huh. see that. Yeah, I'll have to, talking about, I'll look so. that up. Yeah. But yeah, so I guess getting back to my point, I I that balance that they that I I feel like they're trying to strike an episode one um, kind of vanished in in two and three. Like mo- most of two and three to me seemed pretty serious, um, yeah. or or definitely um, or at, at least the 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 oscillate the oscillating was far more subdued. Um, but then it was back again in seven, eight, and nine. Um, And I think that being, being, you know, that being a couple decades later, at least a decade and a half later, you know, there's, there's different themes in, in film now, but, um, but I, and I, and I liked it in 789. Um, I, I found that the balance was actually enjoyable for me with those, but yeah, yeah, I just wanted to see what you all thought with that. Of course the balance was enjoyable in the most recent trilogy because they were strictly calculated formulaic recreations of old successes. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I'm going to say this right now. I think the sequel trilogy is the weakest. I think that, Oh, no, no question about it. And I'm, I've I've rewatched them. I've tried. I really have. The only one that actually gets my approval is The Force Awakens. And that's because ah. it's still a setup. It's a setup for everything that's supposed to happen. And then it, there wasn't clear direction. I'm not going to get into it. We're not going to well, get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that, that, that whole thing is, is, is Disney should have just kept one director for the whole thing. If Abrams did seven, he should have done eight and nine, or at least on the story treatments and had the scripts written for different directors. It, it was all, uh-huh. That was yeah. all a mess on how they handled that situation. We'll save it for the Trilogy. We've got we've got a couple episodes to You know go. what's funny? <laughs> I think I think in one the Gungans are I think they are a really weak part just because the CG doesn't hold up when they go down to the Gungan city. I forget what it's called. Mm. It's, it's just, just Gunga City. That's yeah, pretty no, much okay. what it is. <laughs> Nailed it. Um so it's it's like when i got the um when i got the halo remastered you could switch between the old and new and even with the nice textures one of the things that was unavoidable was so there's just so much empty space Hmm. and when you go into gunga city there's just so much that isn't there. Yeah, they, um, they focused a lot more on the CGI of what was outside the domes instead yeah, of what it was just, inside. It just right. feels hmm. so old. Um, hmm. I do like the battle, though. I, I do like the battle on the field with Jar Jar. Well, the thing is, is that th- those were makeshift weapons that they were doing. Most of their weaponry was for show. Yeah. Right, mm. yeah. True. The, uh, the the big balls uh, of blue, they're, they're, they're plasma, plasma. Yeah. from the inside of Naboo's core. That, that's something oh, that that's cool. safely harvested. It, that's neat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's why yes. it was so effective against the mechanics. It was just, we just yeah. disable them right away. So, uh, Mike, you had touched on this earlier, um, the script writing. Um, Mm -hmm. for um, Padme and Anakin's relationship. And I wanted to kind of pick y'all's brains on whether you you feel like we can attribute um, 
the criticisms or kind of the the cringiness to that relationship building in episode two if if you know if we're if we're if we're going to call it that cringiness um to acting or to script writing um or both you know (laughs) it's probably a little bit of both um i mean especially if you go into the you know two and three I think my biggest issue is too, and this is kind of mainly focused on Natalie Portman. Mm. I actually dislike her performance in episode three Mm. the most, because I think if you compare her performance to two and to three, it almost feels like she, her voice is higher pitched in three. She, Mm. she, she, she's forcing her emotion more so than she did in two. Um, Especially in the very beginning, which talking about how she's pregnant and the first scene she shows up, it didn't feel like Padme to me. It felt like mm-hmm. she was out of character. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like she could have done a better job in episode three. Like she was kind of phoning it in. Uh-huh. Um, and really she is my least favorite part of episode three. Everything else I love, but her in episode yeah. three, I, I dislike very much. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I especially disliked her death. <laughs> I, uh, the, 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 the picture they painted Padme, especially when we, when we get to the Clone Wars, just does not line up with someone just giving up on life. Um, I just mm-hmm. that I just felt like that was a really lazy end to her character. Um, yeah. Um, well, and she, she just, deserved better. Yeah. I, I mean, in one, she, she was deserve better. After she that? was. <laughs> <laughs> she was a young queen. She was running Naboo, and she was she was making some really tough calls. I mean, her yeah. planet was occupied. She was risking her life, and she was making the challenging, difficult calls. And by the third one, she's like, when questioning everything. Well, when Anakin and her, I, I forget where they are, but she's like, "Hold me like you did on Naboo," and I'm like, she doesn't need him to, you know, embrace her. She, what happened to the strong-willed woman? Well, she, exactly because the whole trilogy, she had been a voice of reason and mm-hmm. counter to Anakin. Um, so maybe it's not Windu's fault. Maybe it's Padme's fault. <laughs> I guess, I, I guess, a little bit. I guess, in a way, it kind of is. Yeah, I was just disappointed with that because that scene. I turned to Mariah and I was like, "This is one of my least favorite scenes in this movie because there's a yeah. chance for them to really show how they're both powerful, politically savvy people." Right. And, and I would mm. expect something, obviously not as as. Um, dark and manipulative but like um frank underwood in house of cards him and his wife the way they interact they're both knowledgeable about the system and they can talk to one another about what's going on um so yeah and and that that's where i go to i don't love the writing but i love the story that's behind it all and i feel like there's a really cool story there that's being told that i oftentimes think could have been executed way better um mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the story underneath is still attractive to me and i like it a little bit more every time i watch it i think mm-hmm. yeah the, sto- the story yeah. i think is just their story is just so good that you just kind of forget about some of the lazy writing in those spots because the story itself is just so good mm-hmm. around them yeah. and you know to note too people some people don't realize that padme when she was queen in episode one is only supposed to be 14 years old mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. huh yeah that makes a little bit more sense to me. <laughs> yeah. 
mean, I don't like politics. It's coarse and rough and irritating. And, and it gets everywhere. Gets everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I hate sand. <laughs> it's so oh, soft. I, hate, I like hate skin. It's so line. soft and smooth. Oh, it's what, the worst. He hates the sand. Worst. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what line do you hate? That that line that that awkward moment that chorus is rough. It's irritating, man. Soft, you're, smooth. You're losing a lot of describing words there, Anakin. Yeah, he's getting a little that too one, detailed. That that scene compares into my mind as the midi chlorian scene in Episode One. Like that's how cringy that is. Just like okay. that that scene is the it's sticky from Lord of the Rings okay. for me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know what? I don't. I'm going to say it. I don't hate the concept of midichlorians. I don't either. No, I, I actually, I wanted to bring it back to that because yeah. I didn't hate it as much as you kind of, I felt like you were leading in towards the hate area, but mm. I don't dislike it. It was just a very odd point to bring it up. And well, enough. And so I'm not familiar with the debate. As, What's the debate? Yeah. The debate, it's not really a debate. It's just, I feel as though the fan base generally felt like there was an attempt to explain away the force. There was an attempt to yeah. quantify the force, to make the force um, explainable Scientific. by science. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, sure. and honestly, I've heard a really great evaluation that says that the, the primary philosophy of the day during the original trilogy was mysticism by nature, just this emotional, um, mystical... Um, hmm. more about the the feelings of it all and that's literally how the movie played out and then by the time we we rounded out and we're getting ready to y2k it hmm. got more rational and so rationalism hmm. kind of takes over and starts you know well the force we should explain it a little but the way i look at it hmm. is the chronology would say that after the failure of the Jedi Council that led to the fall of the Republic and the start of the Empire, they understood that they didn't necessarily look at the Force the proper way. And mm -hmm. I mean, even in the sequel trilogy, you start to look at um, this, at least a recognition and reverence for the, the sacred texts. And it's not just about political structure anymore. It's about, you know, it's about the roots of the Jedi being less political and more religious in a sense. Spiritual, yeah. And so yeah. I view it as a shift away from the rationalist perspective that we see from, you know, well-meaning Jedi in the prequel trilogy. And it matures into something through the hardship of the, you know, the galactic empire. They mm -hmm. understand and kind of knock the, the rough edges off their understanding of what it means to be a practicing Jedi. And it goes back to its roots of meditation oh. and faith and feeling the force and connecting to it. So now, I see, mean, I'm actually, I'm, oh, sorry about that, Mike. You no, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. You know, I, I feel like that Lucas almost wanted to in episode three to kind of continue going to Metachlorians because Palpatine has that line where he says about how his old master or, well, his old master, but whatever, about how he had the, the power to manipulate Metachlorians to create life. Mm -hmm. And that's what the building theory is that Palpatine actually created Anakin because they said Anakin didn't have a father. Shmi said he didn't have a father. So you can interpret it two different ways. Either either Anakin was created by Palpatine from the Metachlorians or 
you can look at it in the religious fashion that he's like the Messiah and he's like Jesus and he's the one that's supposed to bring balance. Hmm. Take hmm. your pick. Yeah, I loved, I love, I was just thinking about this today, how um, I really like the fact that the, the concept of the chosen one was not simply tethered to power. Um, because um, if, if it had been, then it wouldn't have really made sense to me. The whole prophecy just would have kind of fallen apart. Um, but in, in light of everything we see in the sequel trilogy, um, I feel like the concept of the chosen one was actually re- uh, redeemed for me. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, it was a much, um, yeah, it just, it made a lot more sense. I think they just got it wrong. You know, I, yeah. uh, I think, um, he, you know, Obi-Wan, when he says, uh, you are the chosen one. Um, I don't think the prophecy failed. I think they just picked the wrong guy. <laughs> well, do you, feel, um, do you guys and, feel that Anakin still is the chosen one by the end of all nine movies or is it somebody else? I, okay. I believe that Anakin is the chosen one. I do believe that Anakin is still the chosen one. And I'll tell you why the prophecy, they actually mentioned this is that the prophecy means that the one who the chosen one is supposed to bring the force back into balance. Now, Mm -hmm. all the Jedi assumed that's just him getting rid of the Sith and then everything's going to be hunky dory. But you also got to look at the fact that there are so many Jedi, there are yeah. so many. Like it, it's it, it's just crazy. Like I, I looked at it and went, it totally makes sense that he did did bring balance because there was a lot of balance. Uh, there was a lot of imbalance with both sides. Like mm-hmm. you're looking at the good, and the good is so kind of like their ego is so high because they have such a you know, successful Jedi order and everything. They're sitting up in their comfy chairs in the High Council. And then you got, you know, Palpatine who has un- unlimited power and mm-hmm. he gets rid of both sides. And then, then there's just Luke. There's just Luke who is the, is kind of like the middle ground between good and bad, I think, mm-hmm. at yeah. the end of the original trilogy. Yeah, it's actually yeah. a good way to look at it. Yeah, I guess I, I I should probably look into it more. I think as I've thought about the concept of balance, um, I think I think the way you're you're expressing, Jeremy, I've, I've I think that is the way the majority probably sees it, and like kind of this equilibrium between good and evil. Um, I think um, for me, I've I've I guess I've kind of been pitting chaos against peace. Um, yeah. And so for me, the like balance of the force and in, in, in the way I understand, and granted, I haven't studied it at all, this kind of lore and what the prophecy means um, as it was intended to mean, but I've always kind of taken it in, in my mind to mean that um, chaos was finally replaced by peace. Yeah, It's kind of like the, uh, who's the one in the matrix? Some people say it's Mr. Anderson Agent and yeah, Mr. Sure. Smith. Yeah, it's, it's Neo and Agent Smith, and they act as two sides of that coin. Mm-hmm. I like to think, uh, and again, this is kind of just off the cuff, but I like to think that the dyad and the Force, Ben and Ray, are together the chosen one. Um, in this, in the sense that, like, Jedi and Sith, as far as we know it, right, are are these human constructs on a force that exists outside of those constructs. And so 
people complain that well maybe this is sequel trilogy stuff but i i just think <laughs> that ray is the one who ultimately ushers in an era that we think will be without the opposing teams because to say that to say that anakin brings balance but then to have the most large and deadly force ever to reign after that at the behest of someone wielding the force in the name of the Sith is kind of, you know, how, how did he bring balance if, if the galaxy was in turmoil after that? Um, I don't disagree that he was part of bringing it to balance, but, but the balance that we see, and maybe again, I'm just thinking of chaos and, and order or, or war and peace, but I don't know. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. We'll definitely have to come back to that with our the secret yeah, trilogy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I wanna, I've, 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 go ahead. I want to bring up a point. I, I don't want to get us, I, I, if you want to say something about this, I'll wait until afterwards. Um, no, I was just going to say, you know, you're, you're kind of right about that. Um, I've always been conflicted about that with Anakin and, and, and Ray and everything. And I, I always looked at the symbolism at the end of, of Rise of Skywalker. Because if you look closely, and this is just, went through my mind i'm not saying there's anything to this but um at the end of the movie when she ignites the gold lightsaber no other we've never seen any other jedi or anything have a gold lightsaber and i almost looked at it as symbolism as she was the balance in the force i mean it's just mm -hmm. kind of me seeing the symbolism in it but it just to me it kind of almost felt like that like they were trying to give that message because it was something we had never seen before yeah you had you had talked about golden sabers before right al yeah um or read about them or yeah i, I remember reading about the J jeremy do you remember who who were wielders of the the golden blades i forget the name of their order now oh, i used oh. if you're they, they, were, they were they were yeah it was the sentinels, sentinels um, are more toward balance of the force techniques yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah and and Okay, so let's let's do let's do more conventional uh, prequel go. trilogy stuff. <laughs> Mike always likes to do this. I'm going to lead it this time. Okay. What was your favorite <laughs> part? Your favorite movie, and your least favorite part in your least favorite movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> of of the uh, first three. Wow. Um, you know, for the longest time. Uh, and this was up until recently. Episode two was kind of always my favorite just because I kind of like, you know, I, I like the planets. I like going to Camino. I like going to Geonosis and seeing the beginning of the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. um, I think episode three has always been kind of button heads with episode two with me because I like seeing the fall of, of Anakin mm -hmm. be complete. I'm still partial to episode two, I think, just to live by a little bit. Um, my favorite part... Ooh, might have to circle back with that one. I can think <laughs> about that. Um, least favorite part, though, it's easy. Like we talked about before, it just any scene, with, a lot of scenes with Padme in Episode Three. I just, I don't, I don't like those scenes. You know, it's funny that we go back to that because what were my least favorite scenes in Lord of the Rings? Arwen. Yeah. Now my least favorite scenes in the prequel trilogy are Padme. You're not a shipper. I well, you know. <laughs> 
At, at least I believe Anakin and Padme's romance. I didn't believe Aragons and Arwens, but we won't get into that no more. Yeah, we won't. Let's leave it. No. So <laughs> I, I like to, and I distinctly remember feeling like it was so cool to see the stormtroopers were the clones. Like that, that blew my mind when I was younger. I thought that connection was very, very cool. Um, that being said, I think my favorite is between the first and the third. Um, I love Duel of the Fates as a, as a piece of music. Oh, yeah. And I love Darth Maul um, and Qui-Gon. I just, I think that fight scene is so well done uh, with yep. the plasma walls. I think um, you nailed it for me. That's my favorite scene. And yeah. episode one, the fight. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then I love, in like a dark way, I love Anakin's fall when he's like, just the connection between um, Anakin and Obi-Wan. There's this, there's this fan-made scene of the fight between Vader and Obi-Wan in A New Hope. Oh, I've seen that. And they add mm-hmm. to it a little bit, mm-hmm. and then they add cuts from when Ewan McGregor is yelling at um, I forget the guy's name, Anakin. Mm-hmm. You're the chosen one, Anakin! Yep. Yeah, and so that scene is really intense, that whole movie, and um, just Palpatine throughout three. So I think three is probably my favorite movie, mm-hmm. um, but I might have to go with the Duel of the Fates as my favorite scene. Agreed. Yep, yeah. that's mine too. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, what do you got? Oh, you're really putting me in a between a rock and a hard place. You need more um, time, Jeremy? Uh, <laughs> no, my my favorite movie <laughs> is is going to be uh, Revenge of the Sith. It's it's always been ever since I saw it. It's just been my favorite movie, and um, my favorite scene is the the duel between Obi Wan and Anakin. It is so mm-hmm. incredibly Good. powerful. Mm-hmm. These are two friends they're brothers they're coming at each other and it's and that anakin wants to he wants to take obi-wan out because he suddenly thinks that he's you know sleeping with padme for whatever reason yeah but obi-wan is doing everything in his power to i don't know not <laughs> to not do it like he doesn't yeah. want to do it he's yep. there out of you know the request from yoda but it is i mean i have three brothers myself okay <laughs> <laughs> I could not imagine going after my brother like that and then just going, you know, you, you were supposed to be better. You were supposed to be the, the, the best of us. Like, sorry, I'm getting emotional yeah. talking about it. Cause that is, that is a powerful scene to me. That is the, yeah. Yeah. I don't, well, and I don't, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, I think to your point, Al, what makes that scene so potent is Obi-Wan is realizing that, maybe you can say he's bringing balance in a way he didn't predict, but his whole life kind of in, in honor of Qui-Gon, he's been training Anakin up with this faith from his mentor that Anakin is the chosen one. And for him to realize Mm -hmm. in that moment, like how can I'm going to have to kill him? He, he can't be the chosen one. And now whether he is or isn't after that moment, I'm sure, but, Obi-Wan leaves him and I think for sure thinks he's dead. Oh yeah. 
Um, I mean, he saw him burn mm-hmm. to a crisp. Like, he yeah, was, yeah, he was toast at that point. And so that, yeah, that's that is such a good part. Huh. That's got to be number two, I think. I think that's right behind Duel of the Fates for me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, that's pretty damn good. Mm. Well, put think of it this way, Mike. That scene couldn't have happened if the Duel of the Fates scene didn't happen. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's why it belongs at number two, right behind it. I knew. I knew you guys were going to go there. I just felt it. What um, about you, you Al? Um. Well, so favorite is uh, Palpatine's line: "Do it." <laughs> the, bravo. What's that at? Bravo, the beginning? Al, is that bravo, the beginning? bravo. Is that the beginning of uh, three? episode three? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know what? Hey, if that's your favorite line, then mine's gonna be good. The force is strong with you. And like that guttural voice. <laughs> Sounds like Elvis there. Strong with you. <laughs> no, if I'm being if I'm being serious about my fair part, um, it is probably when Order sixty six is commenced. Um, oh yeah, I um, I could I could I could be listening to Jim Gaffigan and, and laughing hysterically, and if they flipped on that scene, I'd be crying in a few seconds. Wow, um, what a baby! I just I, I yeah I know yeah I, it makes me feel that way every time I watch it. I um I I think that there are moments when. I feel like TV shows and movies do a poor job of um, making the world seem big um, or the, the universe that they're kind of in seeming big, but they, they did a really good job um, with that scene for me. Um, yeah. And the music and the, the, the music, uh, uh, this is part uh, music pulls in my heartstrings really easily. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that probably contributes some as well, but in any case, um, yeah, I think that what they were trying to accomplish in that in that particular scene really worked well on me. Yeah, um, that is one of the best so, pieces in Star Wars music out of all of it. That is one of the best pieces. Yeah. Scene. Yeah. But yeah, I'm with Jeremy. Revenge of the Sith. Um, it's definitely my favorite film. Um, my least favorite of is probably time? actually. Wow. No, no, no. Um, of the <laughs> of this trilogy. <laughs> I'm just trying to corner you into it. <laughs> you almost had him. Um, you almost got him, Dan. My my least favorite of the trilogy is actually the 1999 puppet Yoda um, for episode one before they remastered in yeah, 2011. Yeah, he's digital now. I, mm-hmm. I hated, I hated that puppet. Um, it didn't look anything like the original Yoda and it bothered me so much. <laughs> the CG okay. one he's doesn't all, look a whole now. lot like the Yoda. No, you're right. But the CG one was definitely an improvement on yeah, this other no. puppet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm almost surprised um, that, that Disney and or Lucas didn't make Yoda digital in, in the original trilogy. Yeah. It's a match. I'm huh. surprised. It, what, sure. See, I think one of Star Wars' strengths and one of the reasons I really liked J.J. Abrams going back to it was the the practical props. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think so. that feels really yeah classic yeah nostalgic Um, yeah yeah so my least favorite moment you guys are gonna hate me i don't love the pod race (laughs) Uh, i like it it's okay i like the pod race i just it's by no means my favorite part that's that's okay though (laughs) and maybe it's because i'm more of like a drama relationships type watcher that an an action scene that prolonged without any social drama. It's a long scene. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. 
Um, well, the only social concept of that was all the pod racers talking in their native tongue. Yeah. I mean, it was cool. It was well done. I definitely l- like it, but um, that was more to just rile you guys up. I think my truly least favorite part is... Um, it's got to be an Anakin and Padme moment. <laughs> You're going down a path I can't follow. <laughs> you know what's funny is there, like in the field when he's joking with her, I like that scene a little bit more every time. <laughs> Where like he's joking with her, I don't know. I buy it more each time. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, or what about I'm um, I'm I'm haunted by the kiss that you should never have given me. Yeah, maybe that one's oh, it. Boy. <laughs> That's a little too mature of a way of saying it. Like it got Fifty Shades of lightsaber right in there. <laughs> yes, I don't. I don't know what my least favorite part all over is, but pr- I'd probably say two is my least favorite movie. But it's not because I I dislike it or the trilogy. It's just the one that excites me the least. I can't even pick a least favorite one, and and, and I and I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. <laughs> I'm going to have to say that uh, Attack of the Clones is my least favorite out of the three. And that is because of the deleted scene um, that you can actually look up if you have on Disney+. Plus. Um, there is a deleted action scene that is in uh, Geonosis when they're all fighting in the Coliseum and whatnot. The um, Ki Adi Mundi, the, the guy with the big head, yeah. um, him and like a few other Jedi are trying to shut down the droids so that they can get the upper hand but it's like a bait and switch because they shut down the droids and then they get back up again like (laughs) oh there's another power source somewhere it is the worst i'm so glad that wasn't in the actual film smart move smart (laughs) but you hated it so much that you still dock the movie for it (laughs) i I hated it hey it's it's okay hey hey jeremy's like me he was looking for a reason to not like one of the movies so he just Picked a deleted scene. No, I agree. No, if, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm actually disappointed with Django Fett, to be honest. I, really? I, I think that Django Fett and Boba Fett are seriously like <laughs> the apple doesn't fall far from the tree is how mm. really crazy that goes to say. Mm. I almost feel like that even Django and Boba weren't even necessary to even be in the prequels. I mean, it, they weren't even necessary. because I don't think that was fan service. Yeah. And what I found myself wondering is now in the wake of Mandalorian, I was wondering, like, I, I don't know. I just want to know more about Mandalorians and is, is the culture of the Mandalorians as developed and tribal as it is in the show for Django? Like, what's his story? He's like, I'm just a man trying to make it in the galaxy. And I'm wondering, what is your story, though? Like, where are you from? And I don't the know. Beauty, the beauty of that, too, with The Mandalorian is that it, it, they can do that show and they really don't have much in the way of boundaries because we don't know much about them anyway. Yeah. So it allows them so much freedom. And, 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 and I mean, staying, of course, within continuity of certain things. But, I mean, as far as, like, the history of, of the bounty hunters and everything, they can just kind of do what they want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I I feel like I used to to hate on the prequel trilogy because that was like the thing to do. The, yeah. But as I've yeah. as I've revisited them, 
I I like them, and maybe maybe I'm just too easy on it all, but I'm. Isn't it amazing how much the appreciation for the prequels is now that seven, eight, and nine are out? People have really Mm -hmm. changed their tune big time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's funny. Although the effects and the fights, Duel of the Fates is such a good fight. But I, oh, there we go. I don't like the way that Dooku, here it is. Here's my least favorite part. I don't like the way Dooku uses the Force. Where he's like, like this. Yeah. Instead of like this. Or just like, it feels so awkward. Um, And that scene doesn't feel very natural. They're like, well, our knowledge of the force, let's do our, the lightsaber. And it just feels like such a waste. Christopher Pine has a great voice. And Chris, that's not Christopher Pine. Oh, Oh, that's Captain Kirk of Star Trek. (laughs) Yeah. What's his name? Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. Lee. There you go. Yeah. You know, fun fact. Now we need to do reboot the prequels. Christopher Pine. (laughs) Christopher Pine is Count Dooku. (laughs) You know, a lot of the reason why uh, why Christopher Lee kind of looks funny in a lot of stuff is I I heard that when he was filming Star Wars, he like couldn't really move because of his age. Yeah, and you they, could tell the way he yeah. used the mm-hmm. force. They CGI'd all of his movements and everything because he just couldn't barely move. Huh. Yeah, but how'd he move as Sauron then? Stunt doubles. Uh, yeah, probably a lot of that was the way it was cleverly shot and probably certain magic. Days. Oh, he's yeah. a wizard. Yeah, you know, Jedi and wizards, you know, they're kind of all one and the same. Yeah, I, I didn't love, and I loved Yoda's movement. I just didn't really like Dooku as a fighter in that one. Hmm. Yeah, it's a little awkward at times. So yeah. I'm going to tune in with this now. I think, and this is just over the broad spectrum of the entire saga, is that we show the decline of technique and overall skill in lightsaber duels. From from one to nine, they diminish. Because yeah. you see you see a lot of you see a lot of really cool lightsaber duels in one and two and three. And then in four, five, and six, it, it still has a little bit of technique, but a lot of it uh, there's a, like a little bit of it is just whacking until someone gives away. Especially in four. Then you have like (laughs) Kylo Ren and Finn and everyone in the sequel trilogy. They're just hacking and waving around like maniacs. See, I, I'm gonna disagree. I'm gonna say I hate the fights in four, five, six, and I think that's just the time. I, I, I I just don't think they had the fight choreography. They didn't bring in the professional, you know, and maybe they did, but I, I just don't see it. I don't see sure. cool fighting. I mean, because the fighting in one is amazing. Um, but then I think seven, eight, nine imbues more of the character into the fighting, and I and I like that at all. I don't know enough about stick fighting to to say that it's more or less technical but it feels like you can tell more about a character by the way that they fight um like the way they grip their saber the way they use it and and i i liked that a lot yeah. I, I can I, meet you in the middle with that yeah, yeah I, I, I can understand that 
Yeah, because huh. Kylo, Kylo has that technique, you know, where he's fighting like he's so angry all the time. That's why. Yeah, well, and they even so have Ray do the ice pick grip that Kylo was doing mm. when she's oh, yeah. fighting. And it's like, as she becomes emotionally unstable to a degree, she starts fighting like Kylo mm-hmm. with the way she grips her saber and everything. And I, I just thought that was really cool. Um, a subtle mm. way to show her shifting mm. position. I couldn't begin to I understand think... Finn's technique because I don't know where the hell he picked that up. Yeah. <laughs> My three-year-old fights much the same way. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's interesting. Well, any uh, any lasting thoughts on the prequel trilogy? Anything you want to say to people Two. that... that, that uh... Two. <laughs> Anything you want to uh, say to people that hate on the prequels so much, or maybe you want to agree with them? I don't know. Give them a chance. <laughs> I always, I've always said, you know what? If you don't appreciate every Star Wars movie, are you really a true fan? Mm, I don't know. Maybe the true fans hate them more than anyone. <laughs> they can go straight to hell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I don't know. I feel like I don't really know that much. Certainly not enough to to be on a podcast about it. But I, I really, I'm surprised because I I rewatched them for the first time when I moved down here about a year ago, and I've watched them like two or three times over the year. And I've hmm. every time I like them more than I expect to. Yeah. Huh. I mean, now this is pod racing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's my least favorite quote of the entire trilogy. (laughs) Oh, man. That's so terrible. It's cringy beyond belief. I can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Go ahead. I will say I am looking very forward to the... um, Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Oh, yes. was announced. Oh, yeah. Oh. And uh, Ewan McGregor as the lead. I'm all for it. Please, please, give me more. Like, (laughs) it also gives a great great opportunity for uh, for Liam Neeson to come back as Qui-Gon. I heard that might happen. I heard Mm. that might be happening. Mm. On that subject, who's your favorite character of the uh, prequel trilogy? Obi-Wan, hands down. Obi-Wan. Yep. Palpatine. Good. Mm. Mister, I can feel your anger. Gives you focus. Makes you stronger. (laughs) Palpatine is a very consistent... I mean, the guy... I I don't know that actor's name, but he is very good. Um, Ian McDermott. Yeah, Yeah. he's... He's a good good actor. Um, Yeah, I'd say it's, it's... it, it might be Palpatine for me, um, but I do really like Ian McGregor as well. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely with you with being excited about a, a series where he's kind of the main role. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Alistair's favorite part of the, of the, of the show, uh, the one out of 10 rating system. Mm. So Alistair, lead us off. Give us your Are one out of 10. The entire trilogy? Oh, for each one. For, for each one. one. Episode um, one, two, and three. Okay. Uh, episode one, seven, episode two, five, 
episode three, eight. No, seven. Ooh. I don't think I can be friends with you anymore, Alistair, but you know. <laughs> that's, that, that's really cold. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. At least I stayed above, well, five or above for all of them. I can't believe you gave a Star Wars movie a five. <laughs> wow. <laughs> My heart hurts. You and me both, Mike. It pains you me. Were the, Wait, let, well, let, you were let the, me, let, Blake, you let were me the see. chosen one, Alistair. You were the chosen one. <laughs> let, let me see how, let, let, let me see how uh, the public rated episode two. Oh, um, like, oh, don't even go there. Okay. Okay, Rotten Tomatoes episode two. Actually, I'm right about where the audience score Forget is at fifty-six percent. Rotten Tomatoes. So they don't. They I'm, don't know. I'm, they, don't, they don't know a good movie if it hit him in the ass. <laughs> we'll just. Okay, what was IMDb? We'll just. Um, we'll edit this part out. We don't need to know their scores. Um, <laughs> they just care about our scores. <laughs> I really hate one through ten when it's not Lord of the Rings and I'm giving them all tens. That um, was that was bogus. I don't know. I guess on yeah, I guess I would say I don't know. I suck at this. Seven six and eight. Okay, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, I know, but now I feel like I'm just worshiping these movies with the scores I wrote down earlier. <laughs> oh, 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 wait, wait, wait till you hear mine. Trust me, we'll probably both be on the same page. Okay, I'm going to give episode one an eight. I'm going to have to give it an eight. Episode two is seven. And I'm putting episode three. I'm not going to give it a perfect 10 just because of screenwriting and dialogue. Did you write down and, a 10? No, I did not. I wrote <laughs> okay. down 9.5. Okay. okay. I wrote okay. 9.5 because I can't <laughs> give it the full 10 because of the cringy dialogue. Okay. Mm. I can't do it. 10. 10. <laughs> 10. Okay. No. All right. All right. All right. As, as movies in general, I'm going to give them all 10s. But rating in within the star wars thing um mm -hmm. okay the, the prequel trilogy is is my favorite you know so um episode one uh eight episode two ten and episode three nine mm. the scandal the, the you gave phantom lower than two <laughs> well, yeah. Wow. yeah i wasn't expecting that I foresee the uh, podcast getting be, getting taken down because you rated episode two a ten. I, even I couldn't do that. <laughs> I, I, you know, it just that that one for some reason. I, I watched that one and I enjoy watching that one. I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I to this day, I, I couldn't really give you a reason why, but it's Yoda when he leaps into the air for the first time and. Yeah, it's like awesome. An old, yeah, you hear him yeah. grunt like an old grandma getting out of her chair, and he goes and fights with a lightsaber. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? You know what? I, actually, you know what? I actually want to put th three and two probably in the same thing. I think I want to give three and two both a ten. Um, because mm. the, the three definitely has a lot of moments. That Order sixty six moment too is like one of the best Star Wars moments. Mm. So. Yeah, I think I'm going to put three and two probably at both tens, and then I'm going to go back to one being a nine. I'm just going to restructure them a little bit. 
if that really helps. gotta finish the Clone Wars now because I'm missing out on a lot. They're great. Yeah, I haven't seen them. Yeah. They're so good. Mm-hmm. They are. They're really good. I got, yeah. I, got, I, got, I got like two seasons to watch, but they are really good. They fill a lot of gaps in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big time. Right. That's cool. Cool, guys. Well, that does it for the controversial prequel trilogy, although I don't it think it's any... It wasn't that bad. Although Alistair I think... Alistair came in with kid gloves on. <laughs> yeah, although I think, the se- I think the sequel trilogy actually is even more controversial now. So... I think his tactic was to soft pedal his criticisms to get you and Jeremy criticizing them, and I think you did, <laughs> and he feels like he was successful. Oh. Oh, uh... Don't worry, Alistair. I'm going to have a little bit of fun with the original trilogy. Don't worry. I'm going to destroy <laughs> you bit. guys in the sequel trilogy. Just FYI. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I, I had a feeling the I'm sequel a, trilogy was going to be the most fun. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, especially when we get into The uh, <clears throat> the Last Jedi. That's going to be interesting. Uh, I, so I remember you saga. saying, Mike, yeah. that you had nothing bad to say about any of these movies. You wouldn't do it. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm being fair to a degree, yeah. but like I've said before, uh, I give them all tens on a, I, from everything else. Just I'll raid them with the other nine. That's about the only way to be fair. But other than that, on a big scale like Lord of the Rings, um, all of them get tens. Actually, probably more than that, but that, you know, whatever. <laughs> Hey, if you guys can give Lord of the Rings 10, then I can give Star Wars a 10. You can. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I was listening to those, and I felt giving all the Lord of the Rings a 10 was a stretch. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You know what? I'm out of here. I'm out of here. End it. Uh, All right. Okay, so the original trilogy will be next. That'll be be fun. Not as fun as the sequel trilogy will be, but uh, it's still going to be fun nonetheless. So uh, thank you, uh, Jeremy, for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we look forward to having you back on uh, the next two. And uh, Alistair and Dan, good to have you guys back again for the fourth podcast. Wow, that's yeah. four. That's four. Yeah, wow. this is fun. <laughs> yeah, this is a lot of fun. And uh, it's going to get even more fun by the time we get to the sequel trilogy. So cool. <laughs> He All keeps right. mentioning that. I'm worried about what he's going to yeah. say now. <laughs> Just wait. So it's all we, up here. We, we sh- you know, at, we should all commit to watching at least one or two episodes of the Clone Wars and Rebels, so that after we discuss the saga, we can have one episode dedicated to the TV shows. Mm. Oh my gosh, I'll try that's, and get through that's them all. That's fair. That's actually kind of fair. <laughs> to do list. To That'd be fun. That would be fun. <laughs> watch Clone Wars, watch Rebels. Okay. All, right. All the way through, Watch twice. Mandalorian. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Have you not seen Mandalorian, Jeremy? Oh no, I've seen it. I oh, okay. I plowed right through that. It's amazing. <laughs> That's true. I forgot the Mandalorian. Yeah. Oct- October season two. Gosh, I can't wait. Oh, and the best the best Star Wars film, Solo. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even talk about Rogue One and Solo, which actually take place in the prequel <laughs> universe too. We didn't even discuss that. Rogue One <laughs> is my favorite. I do really like Rogue One. I like Rogue yep. One a lot, too. Rogue, Rogue, Rogue One is on My Rogue wife Rogue. liked Rogue One, and she hates Star Wars. Wow. <laughs> Wait, she hates it? Yeah, I, I haven't been able to get her to watch more than 20 minutes. <laughs> really? I had to force but She liked. Ro- she watched all of Rogue One and liked it a lot. That's all right, funny. so what we'll do is we'll discuss some of Solo and Rogue One and the sequel trilogy one because it's Disney films, so we'll kind of discuss it briefly. Sure, in that nice, one. That's, cool. That's, that's fair. I'm okay with that. That sounds fair. 
All right. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you on the original trilogy for our Star Wars The Complete Saga podcast. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. I have encountered divergence in the Force. You refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the Force. You believe it's this boy? The Force is unusually strong with no. I sense much fear in you. The boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you? Wipe them out. All of them. My only conclusion can be that it was a Sith Lord. But which was destroyed? The Master or the Apprentice? You will be a Jedi. I promise. I am grateful you're here, Master Kenobi. The situation is more dangerous than the Senator will admit. I see you becoming the greatest of all, Jedi Anakin. I wasn't strong enough to save you, Mom. You're not all powerful. <laughs> well, I should be. Blind we are. With creation of this clone army, we could not see. I look forward to seeing them in action. I have tracked the bounty hunter Jango Fett to the droid foundries in Geonosis. The Senate will never approve the use of clones. I will create a grand army of the Republic. What if I told you that the Republic was now under the control of the Dark Lord of the Sith? You call this a diplomatic solution? No, I call it aggressive negotiations. Or impossibly outnumbered. I don't think so. If Dooku escapes, rally more systems to his cause, he will. I can't take Dooku alone! I need you! My master will never allow the Republic to get away with this treachery. The shroud of the dark side has fallen. Begun. The Clone War has. You won't get away this time, Dooku. Sense great fear in you, Skywalker. Good. Kill him. Something wonderful has happened. Annie, I'm pregnant. Soon I will have a new apprentice. One far younger and more powerful. Be careful of your friend, Palpatine. What if the Republic has become the very evil we've been fighting to destroy? You ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? He could keep the ones he cared about from dying. Is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. You're the Sith Lord. If what you've told me is true, you will have gained my trust. The Jedi have tried to overthrow the Republic. You shall be known as Darth Vader. Right. Who? Who could have done this? Execute Order 66. Ah! 
conflict to be reorganized into the first galactic empire. You are the chosen one. She's carrying twins. To exile, I must go. Failed, I have. There's good in him. I know. 